Welcome to another episode of the Spoon Ma Podcast. This week I'm joined by Chef Cody S. Wiegand. He is one of the chefs down in Cincinnati, Ohio. Cody is kind of at this weird stage of his career. He's kind of like, I refer to him as a mercenary chef almost. He pops up just kind of all over the place around the city. So he's done some events with Wildweed when they were doing pop-ups earlier this year. They were out of Mighty Good in the OTR and some other stuff. He's done some pop-up dinners at Heart and Crew. And he's been just kind of bounced around. He was in the kitchen at Pleasantry before it closed. Uh, that was about over a year ago. And he bounced around. I think he might even popped up at El Posto uh, when they were opening um, with Evan Hartman and Tyler Stemmer. And they had like a whole Pleasantry uh, crew over there. So it's been pretty awesome to just kind of see him pop up and interact with a bunch of different people we've had on the podcast. Uh, he's been a part of a bunch of different restaurants that we've really enjoyed, different experiences too as well. So I wanted to have him on the podcast and just kind of find out where he's at in his career and everything. So Full disclosure, he was slated to take an executive chef gig in Cincinnati for an upcoming restaurant, but unfortunately he had to depart that due to some health issues, uh, health challenges that he had encountered. So we're looking forward to him kind of popping back up once everything gets sorted and uh, figuring out kind of what his next thing in his career is, whether it's taking on an existing kitchen or doing his own thing or jumping into one of the upcoming restaurants that's about to open. You know, there's a couple, there's Jordan Anthony Brown's The Aperture. You got Dave and Lydia Jackman's Wildweed is scheduled to open like next year. The Aperture is going to open this month. And then you also have Colette, which is from Danny Combs. He is longtime chef at Soto. Uh, he's opened his own restaurant and Evan Hartman is going to be working over there too as well. So there's like three really big time restaurant openings coming in the next six months, starting with the Aperture. So it's pretty cool to see. And who knows if Cody gets himself involved with one of those or takes a different avenue route to kind of join an established kitchen or what have you. So we talked a little bit about kind of upcoming stuff for him, but uh, mainly focused on his career, where he's at now, kind of getting to this point and kind of what's next too as well. So you can follow him on Instagram just to see where he kind of pops up next. It's at Cody, K-O-D-I, for us, the cool. So whole handle, no spaces, anything is at K-O-D-I-F-E-R-U-S-T-H-E. K-O-O-L. You can follow him there. He also has a second account where he kind of posts his drawings and stuff, artwork that he does too as well, which we kind of touch on. That is at Codiferous the Scrib. And that's two Bs on Scrib. So you can find that handle through his bio on Instagram too as well. And we'll tag everything too so you guys can find it easily. But he does some artwork. It's kind of like a, just a way to kind of release and disassociate with kind of the chef industry and everything kind of therapeutic too. So it's it's pretty awesome stuff that he comes up with. And you could totally see it on like a restaurant mural wall or something. Um, it's very, if you've ever been to like a Mellow Mushroom, sometimes they have kind of like that psychedelic kind of vibe on some of the artwork and stuff. It's in a similar vein to that. So you could totally see it working for whether it's a pizza place or, you know, any sort of restaurant um, potentially, if that's something that he wants to do down the road too as well. Follow us on Instagram at SpoonMob. Check out the website, SpoonMob.com. All the profiles for all of our guests are up there. Contact information. We keep it all updated when they change restaurants, move locations, whatever. We'll put little bylines underneath kind of all the information. So just little updates when they kind of happen. Those get cleared out if they come back on the podcast and we talk about them. But otherwise, we keep a running list until they do. And um, links to the episodes, every episode that they've been on, there's a master page with a master list too as well. You can write in questions, comments, feedback from the website too. You can write in directly to us, spoonmob at yahoo.com as well if you want. Um, if there's a question you've ever had for a chef or a sommelier or somebody that you always want answered, write that in. We'll incorporate it in an upcoming episode and let you know what episode that is featured on. And it's kind of your way to be part of the podcast. It's kind of one of the things we do at the end, you know, having chefs leave behind or guests leave behind questions for the next guest and stuff like that too as well. So we try and get some interactive engagement uh, aspects in there uh, and kind of keep it flowing from episode to episode. But you can also find the podcast on any podcast platform. We're on all of them, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Samsung, if you have a Samsung device that comes preloaded, Google, which eventually is moving to YouTube Music, and that's all getting integrated, but still a standalone platform for now. Audible, 
Amazon Music, all that stuff. You can find us on any of them. Just search Spoon Mob. You can use the link tree in our bio of our Instagram. Go to the website and click directly through one of the episode links. It'll take you to, uh, we post links in the stories whenever we have a new episode drop too. So there's a bunch of different ways you can find us. You can find us on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel as well, if that's your preferred method to consume podcasts and stuff. If you're working from home, you like to have a podcast on in the background. Spotify's a little clunky to have. Like we have Apple TV and it's it's not hard, but it's just not very user-friendly. None of the stuff is for like if you're trying to push it through a TV and a sound system and stuff that you have at your house while you're you know, working from home or whatever. So you can find us on YouTube. That one kind of works the best uh, on that setup with the streaming stick and everything like that. But without any further delays, here's my conversation with Chef Cody Eswegen, who you can find in Cincinnati, Ohio. Cool. Well, thanks again for taking some time out of your day, coming on the podcast to chat about your career and Cincinnati and the stuff that you got coming up that's in the works too as well. First, kind of learned about you. I mean, you were working at Pleasantry, which was a great restaurant. Uh, RIP, it's no more. But when it was open, I know you were there on the team and you've bounced around kind of since then, almost like a, I would refer to you as kind of a culinary mercenary at this point with all the little things that you've kind of popped up, not just on your own, but like helping out in different kitchens and and bouncing around and stuff too. So I want to get to kind of your upcoming project, uh, what you're going to be involved with. Uh, I believe it's coming up uh, here this fall. But before we get to all that, I always like to kind of start at the beginning. You know, how did you kind of first get involved in cooking in culinary arts in the restaurant industry? Was that through high school? You just kind of fell into it? Family was always involved? How that happened? It's kind of been like a super long journey for me. When I was a kid, my mom would Brought me off at my great-grandparents' house, and she'd go to work. She was a single mother. And my great-grandparents had this massive garden, man. They, my great-grandfather would grow corn, watermelon, cantaloupe, you name it. He'd probably grow it. We would go out in the garden, like, just pick shit, you know, like green beans and stuff. And it was a really good time. We'd work out there. And around, I'd say, 3 o'clock, we'd come in for dinner. And... After dinner, my great-grandfather and I would go back to his back room and we'd watch this show. And it was called Great Chefs of the World. <laughs> it had like the goofiest intro music, but it was super cool. And they would do like a, an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert. And they were often like hotel chefs and whatnot. And I just thought that was like the coolest thing. So like at the, I don't know, young age of like five or six, I've just always been interested in it. And it's been like the only thing I've ever wanted to do in my life. So super fortunate to just have like a direction at such a young age but yeah it was super cool it's the only thing i've ever wanted to do so when i got into high school probably i was in fort wayne indiana at the time there was this like vocational center there it's called anthos career center super cool when you got to go there you can choose to go there when you were like a junior i would want to say and they have like a two-year program so like the first year you like do like cafeteria kind of set stuff you learn like your basic knife skills your terminology and just like proper etiquette in the kitchen which is super sweet because i really don't know much programs that exist like that anymore it was super really fun and during like the second year situation if you got chosen to go to the second year they did like restaurant setting things so we would actually do like a little service in the middle of the day <laughs> and it was super sweet we'd have like a saute station and grill station and like a garma station it was just super interesting. I never like experienced anything like that. And it's just been my thing. I don't know. I just love it. At the end of the year of the uh, Anthos Career Center, like the seniors at the time, Charlie Trotters had like this uh, program where they would bring in students to the restaurant and you get like a tour and shit. And Anthos was part of that. So like at the end of the year, after we would do our services and run the restaurant and do things like that, we'd all get dressed up and we'd take like a bus like over to Chicago. We'd go to the restaurant and it was fucking sick. Like being able to see the glow of like a real fucking kitchen. I don't know. It was just magic. I've like, I still see it in my head right now. Like glow of the copper pots and things and like walking into the wine cellar and just seeing the mass amounts of wine they had there. And just experiencing like a meal in like a Michelin star restaurant is fucking crazy. Like, goddamn, like, how do you get to do that? It's fucking weird, man. I don't obviously know too much about high school anymore and how it's changed. But I mean, even when I was going through it, you know, I'm 35 now and there was never a culinary home ec program for me to take. Like there was one I remember, but that was for people that were four or five years ahead of me. But 
there was never an option for me to do any of that stuff that was just gone by the time I was going through it. Absolutely, dude. So like, just like having that kind of exposure to just like quality cooking and whatnot. And like the cookbooks we used were like CIA cookbooks. So like super legit, that's fucking tight. And I just like, I wish that there were more programs like that out there. I really don't know much about it anymore, what the program looks like. But for the time that I was there, that was fucking cool, man. <laughs> Learned how to like cut things properly, like proper terminology, like Brunois and Julienne, things like that. And like software, it was like, fuck. It's basically like going to culinary school in high school. No, yeah, it sounds like it was pretty much you got to go to culinary school early and didn't really have to pay for it. I mean, you're going through like a vocational school, which I think those are kind of starting to make a comeback just because of all the skilled trades that there's a bit of a void in whether it's electricians or construction workers, all this stuff. But, you know, you go through this school, you're super into it and everything, right? Was there a part of kind of the curriculum that you thought was more beneficial to you and one that, like, you wish, looking back on it, they would have done more with? Honestly, I just wish the restaurant service that we had was pretty limited because it was only during like our hours of school. So it would be like lunch service. So it'd be like 12 to 2, I think, is what we would do. Just being able to elaborate on that more, like maybe like if there was more evening services to actually do like a dinner kind of situation. I think that's like the really only thing that I really think I could have gotten more out of it. I mean, for the time that I was there, the job that my instructors did were really amazing like my main instructor i had her name was miss snyder and she is just like this hard-nosed old school chef woman that took no shit and it was fucking great <laughs> no man it was amazing from there in high school i got a job well my parents told me i needed to get a job in the restaurant industry if this is what i really wanted to do and just to get some like base level experience and just feel it out and so my first job I got was at this cafe. It was called the Sunrise Cafe. I was basically just the toast boy for like a year. I would just butter toast and fry things. And I was like, this is fine, but I really want something more. I wanted to do something a bit more, I guess, like high class or fine dining. I always wanted to be in like great kitchens and whatnot. But so I worked there for like a year. And then from there, I got an interview at this steakhouse in Fort Wayne. And at the time, it was like, the shit like steakhouses in the midwest are just like it was like the bee's knees and there wasn't really anything else going on in fort wayne at the time so i ended up getting this job at the baker street steakhouse and i stayed there for like four and a half five years man i went in there at the garment station and i just wanted to get better and just like learn as much as i could and you know places like that have a weird way of attracting unusually skilled people especially in like I guess Fort Wayne's not like the hugest market, but there is like a plethora of really talented people that come and go through there. So I would start off at Garmo Station and I inevitably like work my way through like all the stations up to like a kitchen manager position. Yeah, no, like the people that I met there, like there was a guy that like staged at Alinea and I had a friend, one of my closest friends, Corey. He like was a sous chef in Chicago for a while and like my sous chef Aaron like had went to France and like all these people just had like an amalgam of knowledge and just being able to be surrounded by people that were passionate but were also all getting our asses kicked and like doing like <laughs> 400 500 covers on a fucking ripping Saturday night is just really cool and honestly like what it really got me going and like wanting to push further and do more it's weird to think about just because like that's probably like the longest stint that i've had in a restaurant and it was like my first like i, I think it's like my first real kitchen job with fort wayne like coming up through that restaurant scene because when you look at a map like it's kind of in the middle of the state right like it's pretty much i mean might even be slightly closer to ohio than it is chicago but detroit's not too far away either so was there a lot of people like you said, talented individuals, did they basically use Fort Wayne and wind up going to Detroit or Chicago or down to Indianapolis? Because, I mean, Indianapolis is pretty much known kind of as this steakhouse kind of hub, like you mentioned. You know, there's a bunch of different famous places there, all kind of built around the concept of a steakhouse and kind of how the menu is. Was that kind of what you saw people leaving Fort Wayne to go to just kind of a, a bigger market? 
Honestly, I saw more people come to Fort Wayne from the bigger markets, whether like they were probably burnt out or just like really not feeling the industry. And Fort Wayne's super affordable to live in, always has been. So it's probably just like an easy like transition. I would say though, now a lot of people have left Fort Wayne, but they seem to be coming back to and fro. Fort Wayne's really interesting. Like there is a number of like creatives just generally speaking and there seems to be this uh well i guess rise of things happening there it's been getting a lot of press just for like its livability and i i get that now i'd say more people have probably like migrated to fort wayne as opposed to leave it that's just my my observation the steakhouse i worked there like i said four and a half five years and you get to a point to where you it's not that you're not learning, but there's only so much you can grow from there. This was like probably like 2016, I'd want to say. And there was this restaurant opening. It was called The Golden. I heard about it and I was just like, that's what I want to do. I want to go to this fucking place. Um, the chefs, Aaron Butts and Sean Richardson. Um, Aaron Butts, one of the only James Beard nominated chefs like in the area at the time for like working at Joseph Dequeez. He had like this incredible pedigree, like he staged at like Charlie Trotter's Fat Duck. And I was like, I want to work for these dudes, you know, Um, especially in Indiana, you know, like Fort Wayne fucking Indiana of all fucking places. It's cool. And I was like, that's what I want to fucking do. I need to get out of the steakhouse situation that I have going on. Not that I didn't love it, but he just reached that point. So um, I took a job helping open a restaurant called Tolan and it was like a farm to table restaurant and Chef Matthew Nolot. Super wonderful fucking chef let me in and I helped open that. And that was like my first time ever experiencing like a restaurant opening. It was the first time that I like actually worked like 80 hours a week. It was just like we were a bit understaffed. So it was like myself, like one other line person and Matt, sous chef and myself and one other person working the line lunch and dinner like every day were open. And it was super fucking cool having that happen. But that was inevitably just like a, a stop before like the golden would open. Then I hopped over to that team and that completely like changed my perspective on food. It was like the first time that I had the opportunity to work in a kitchen that had such high standards. It was super eye opening and it was a lot of learning for me. It's probably like one of the only places that we'd have like farmers come through our back door and seeing all this interesting produce that no one else was using and having like this uh, connection just between like the food and like what we were doing. It was, it was fucking amazing. I look back on it and it's like you have times like in your cooking career where like everyone's on board and everybody is believing in the restaurant and what's going on and that was like my first time that I've had that happen. I'm fortunate to say that it's happened like twice for me, but like the golden was like my, it really developed me and it really pushed me to be a better line cook and just like really get my shit straight and not to be dirty or like clean up after yourself or like don't slam doors and things like that. It was just like a crazy cool experience and super fortunate. So how did you wind up landed in Cincinnati like what brought you to the area like I said it's been like a long journey I haven't lived in Fort Wayne and then from Fort Wayne I moved to Indianapolis for like a year year and a half I worked at Cerulean and I was going to help open Beholder when that was open uh, I ended up moving back to Fort Wayne instead <laughs> so I went like Fort Wayne Indianapolis Fort Wayne while I was in that time in Fort Wayne I was looking for just different opportunities to just get out of I guess, because Fort Wayne's just my home. I staged in Detroit, and I staged at a place called Mabel Gray, and it was really tight, and I really fell in love with like that hard work ethic. But then I also had a scheduled stage at uh, Please in Cincinnati at the time, and my really great friend Nathan Friday was working there, and I came down and staged for the weekend, and I just immediately fell in love with the city. It was not like anything I'd ever seen, you know, like the architecture is so unique around here. And I remember just like walking out of my Airbnb on Liberty and just like looking down like the little corridors of rows of just like really interesting buildings and businesses happening at the time. I want to say this was like 2018, 2019. And it was just like, 
wow, this is fucking cool. And being able to just like get in a kitchen where there's so unique and creative food coming out of there, you know, like it's small, it's tiny, it's everything that like I'd ever wanted to work in, you know, and it was just super different, like the open kitchen aspect of it, like you're in the middle of the dining room, you know, and there was like something super magical about that for me. And being able to experience that was just like, wow. After my stage, I was just like, yeah, this is where I want to be. I want to, I, I'm going to go to Cincinnati and do this business, man. Like, I'm, I want to, I want to fucking crush it. And it, at the time, I thought like, please was the shit, you know, it was getting really good press and things were, it was just the time. No, I've been to both those places. I mean, please is obviously closed now. Yeah, please was great uh, in a small restaurant. And then same with Mabel Gray, you've been a couple times too as well. And yeah, the big difference between the two is Mabel Gray is out in, I guess you could call it the suburbs of Detroit, where Please is more downtown. You know, you're in the OTR. And, and now it's obviously Nolia since it closed and everything. So when you were at Please, who all was there with you aside from Ryan? Because we've had a few people, I think, kind of have made their way into that kitchen for a time period before moving on to other things. Was it anybody from the area that's still in the area that was part of kind of the group that you were with? David Jackman, that's where I met David at. I got to working next to him. David was like probably like the, the dude that I learned the most from when I was there. Like, yeah, he was just a fucking machine, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was like the first time that I worked next to somebody that like just handled shit. It was really, really inspiring for me. And it made me just like want to push and do better, you know? Other than that, my friend Lorenzo, who lives out in his wife's a traveling nurse, so they move around. My friend Ethan Bartlett, who works in the city still. Um, Catherine, she's over at Mita's. Like, it was a strong team, but I feel like with what we were trying to do, everyone really had to be on it to get things done and do the business. When you're working at a restaurant like Please and eventually becomes, you know, his name the best restaurant in Cincinnati before COVID happens and it winds up kind of closing because of that. And I think also, I think Ryan posted about it as some lease stuff too, as well, the building, but and needing some work. But when you kind of look back on it, do you realize how special of a place this restaurant is in the moment or is it not until it closes that you kind of look back on it and are able to realize like, oh, that was a pretty unique thing. Like that's not going to be something easy for me to find, you know, my next stop or stop thereafter. In the time that I was there, it was probably more difficult for me to appreciate it. I was pretty anxious individual at the time. So just uh, going in was getting myself together, getting my head straight. It was just like I was in my head a lot. So in the moment, I probably didn't appreciate it near as much as I could have or should have. But after the fact, I mean, it's just like a perfect restaurant situation. I mean, like I said, it's a tiny, adorable space making super fun, interesting food. So I think it's just more of a thing that like after I worked there, I appreciated it more than when I was there, I'd say. So then after Please, is that when you head across the river to the baker's table? Like you did some time there too as well, I believe, right? After working at Please, I was a bit burnout, and then I saw Baker's Table getting a lot of good press and whatnot, and I was going to see what was going on because I heard that they were doing like a opening a dinner situation over there, and I went over there because my partner Caitlin went over there to be like a bar manager. She told me to come in and to meet David and everybody that was going on over there, and I did, and I was like, oh wow, well this is pretty sweet. Uh, this could be a nice change of pace for me, and we could push and do something special, you know, and. I went over there. I probably worked over there five or six months, maybe. But that was leading up to like COVID. And Baker's Table was super fun. It was an interesting spot. And getting things going for their dinner program was really cool to see and just see how things like panned out over there. I was going to move back to uh, Indianapolis. One of my old chefs that I worked for there, Alan Sternberg, was slated to open a restaurant at the time. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to. I'm going to move back to Indianapolis. But in the meantime, my friend Nathan Friday was opening his uh, boombox bun situation and I was already leaving. So I was like, well, I'll help you do this. I don't mind hanging out with like my one of my best friends, like just slinging some buns. Right. <laughs> it's fucking crazy because like um, during that time, that was when COVID really started to take off. Like, I want to say we had our opening over at boombox 
and then literally the weekend after like shutdown happened so <laughs> we were open just like a few days before um we just had to stop everything it's fucking real fucking crazy man i think we had boombox during like COVID, it would have been in like the fall of 2020 i think they were doing like some lunch stuff and we're doing like a airbnb like just to get out of the city and change up scenery for a little bit here come down to cincinnati like a couple times a year and yeah i think we grabbed some stuff from the, from them from lunch uh, when they were still around i don't think he's still there anymore right because they were across from salazar's yeah it was across from salazar no boombox closed uh i want to earlier this year i want to say covid was happening and i moved back to indianapolis to wait for this uh, restaurant to open and uh i took part in help opening another place um leviathan bakehouse there <laughs> i was like i'm hanging out for a bit waiting for this opportunity so i wanted to learn like bread and things like that which i didn't really get much hands-on experience i'd go in like on some of my downtime just to hang out with the bakers and do the business there. But I was inevitably just like waiting for this opportunity that I moved for. Didn't end up opening. Things got kind of table because of COVID. And I worked with Alan again for a short period of time at an Italian joint for a bit called Iozo's. And I inevitably like got homesick and moved back to Fort Wayne again <laughs> before. <laughs> Yeah, man. COVID was real weird. <laughs> weird fucking times. <laughs> so I moved back to Fort Wayne as like a hooping, I guess, from like waiting for a situation. I just stayed there for a wee bit and I worked with my friend Sean again at a coffee shop called Conjure. And I split my time between there and a restaurant in town called Copper Spoon. And during that time, Sean was doing pop-ups he was doing called Rune. And it was like, six course tasting menu kind of situation with like local ingredients and whatnot so i'd help out with those pop-ups and whatnot here and there before um i was like man itching to fucking do something i guess and sean was looking to open up a restaurant and i think that he's looking at opening up this next year hopefully which would be sick i got a call from david <laughs> jackman while i was in fort wayne and he was working at the Pearl Star space and looking to open up this place called Royce. And I was like, wow, that sounds really fucking cool. Let's fucking tear it up. You know what I mean? Let's fucking do the business. I fucking love working with David. So it's like, yeah, let's fucking go for it. You know what I mean? And here I am back in Cincinnati. Was the Royce, was that before or after? Because you were at Pleasantry for a while too. It was before Pleasantry. So I moved back to work with David at Royce essentially. I get there and I work with David for a little bit and he inevitably puts his notice in and I was hanging out at Pearl Star for a bit waiting for Royce to open and while I was there I was like I don't really know how great this is for me personally so I would pick up positions like helping with like pop-ups with like uh, Jordan I'd help the aperture pop-ups over at Bar Say So for a bit here and there and just trying to figure out what I want to do I guess and Dan DM'd me on Instagram asking if I'd be interested in talking to him about a position over at Pleasantry. And I was like, yeah, let's talk, man. I fucking love Pleasantry. It's a beautiful space. It's a guaranteed good time, you know? I went in and I talked to Dan and Tyler. And I've always wanted to work in a place like this. Like the tiny places are just like what my heart desires, you know? And I took the sous chef position over there and I worked there up until we closed, man. And we had like a really solid team, really passionate people. And I was just really fortunate to have time there. You know, it was fucking tight. Going back a second with like Royce and Pearl Star, because a decent amount of stuff came out since they abruptly closed. Was that all from the stuff that you've probably seen pretty accurate? It was just kind of very poor ownership, very poor management structure. Yeah, I feel like the establishments just weren't set up to succeed from the get. Just lack of... I don't know, accountability on ownership, things like that. It was it was pretty obvious from the short time that I was there that I was like, this isn't going to work for me and probably not for anyone else. It was weird. So I just needed to get out of there, honestly. Is it pretty easy to tell when you start somewhere new, 
was it take like a week, two weeks before you kind of have the place eyeballed to like, eh, what's really going on here? This isn't going to work long term. Like, is that roughly the timeline that it takes for someone? You're pretty spot on. Usually I'd say like two weeks in, you can judge whether or not like, oh, that's something. <laughs> I'm fortunate to be in that space because like I said, I got to work with David again, but also I met a lot of great people there and I'm fortunate for that. You know, it was cool. When you wind up at Pleasantry with Dan and Tyler, uh, both who have been on this podcast, you know, you mentioned that you like working in the smaller kitchens. What's the reason for that? Is it you just kind of prefer that kind of closeness or because it seems like it could also be a, something where you're constantly battling like the limitations of what your kitchen can do if it's too small? For sure. But I feel like that's kind of part of the challenge of it, you know? With a smaller space and things like that, I romanticize it more than I probably should. Those challenges are just like, it's like a whole puzzle and you get to put all these pieces together and figure out the most efficient way of executing like whatever the vision is, right? I love that. It's just like a fun, figure it out process. And I really get down with it. It's challenging but the challenge is what makes it exciting and fun and like pleasantry was like another open kitchen and just being able to like really feel the dining room and just like you can scan it and just see people having a good time people getting rowdy like whatever that looks like you know so i dig it it's one of my favorite things you know when you guys are told the restaurant's closing when dan kind of tells everybody what's going on do you start looking for your next gig right away or is it a situation where you know there's going to be an opening somewhere so it's like let's just embrace this and kind of ride this out until it's completely done with and then i'll figure out where i'm going where i think in the corporate world or you know the office world whatever if you find out your business is closing like everybody immediately starts looking for where am I going next? Like how fast can I get out of here? But I don't feel like it's necessarily the same in the restaurant industry. If that restaurant that you were working at that's closing is one that has a good culture, a good environment, you know, like Pleasantry did. Honestly, when I heard Pleasantry was closed, I didn't make any plans at all, dude. Like (laughs) I was like, okay, I'll, plan on a vacation at the end of the year so like my only plan that i had set up was uh going to new orleans when we closed that was it i honestly didn't know if i wanted to stay in cincinnati after that because it's like i moved here to help open royce and do that which i inevitably didn't even do and i was just kind of lost after that i wasn't sure exactly where i wanted to be or do honestly it wasn't really until like i got back took a position at a coffee shop in town mom and m just to kind of like take hard five you know and during that time my friend peter over at heart and crew got a hold of me and we like talked about doing like a little dinner there i was really feeling burnt out at the time but said i would because it's not really i've never really had the pedestal to just put on food that, that was mine you know i've executed for other people for so long i had this conversation with him and it kind of like re-sparked my my drive you know my love for cooking and it was just a reminder of like why i like doing this stuff no it was super fucking cool and having him reach out to me because he came into pleasantry quite a bit (laughs) and having the opportunity to do that really like put things into motion for me to do like more events more things and just like take on more and just be a part of as much as i can be so when you do that dinner series event with heart and crew because they had a few chefs they had come in and do that. When you're putting together that menu and it's kind of your, almost like your debut, right? Like it's kind of the first time that the entire menu was yours and yours alone. It's all stuff that you've created, whether ideas you pocketed over the years or or whatever. How do you kind of format the menu and try and keep it somewhat traditional progression, you know, through the multiple courses that you're doing, but there's also the wine component that you're kind of pairing the food and wine with too. So how did you kind of approach all that stuff? Basically, I just like took a quick scan of the kitchen situation, just seeing what I was working with. Having an understanding of like the heating elements that I had really dictates like how much I feel like I could execute out of that kitchen. Just being able to be like, okay, I got like these two ovens and like one warmer or one like a, in burner i'm just gonna make it work i'm gonna see what i can get 
get done in this thing. Uh, fortunately, though, for the wine situation, Peter works with me really well on that. I just had to like create a menu, and he like had like perfect pairings with it. Like, like <laughs> I didn't really have to do anything for that, which super fortunate for. And honestly, probably made like the whole experience way better. It was they're great over there. I fucking love working with those people. So after you do the dinner series, I mean, you're helping out with Wild Weed and David Jackman, right? You wind up doing, I think, a handful of pop-ups, the Junkyard Summer Soiree, another dinner at Heart and Crew, I think you did. You just did an industry brunch with uh, Kayla Hunley. You worked with at Pleasantry. She's now over at, uh, I think, El Posto. Doing kind of this past year up till now, all these little side events, pop-ups and everything... Did you feel like you were building towards something, whatever your next thing would be? Were you trying to figure out what that was going to be, if it was going to be a restaurant on your own or be an executive chef? Because that's a long time to, I guess, go without having, quote unquote, a home, right? Like not working in a traditional setting where you're just kind of bouncing around doing all these kind of, you know, like I mentioned earlier when we started, kind of a, a mercenary almost role. Like you're just constantly here, there, 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 here. It wasn't like necessarily like intended to be like a working up situation or like working towards like anything particular. It was just like one, I, I really enjoy helping people out and I can execute things however they want, you know, just tell me what you need. I got you. No problem. Yeah. No, like I said, like after that first dinner, I just felt like a, like a new motor running in me again. And I just needed to keep going do stuff like whatever it looked like. And honestly, it put myself out there for um this whatever like this position i just taken i think that it was just like me subconsciously just like gearing up for getting better and back in the groove of things and really just crushing shit <laughs> yeah dude it's weird because like it's been such a long time coming like cooking in general for me and taking like the long road compared to what i've seen other people take i guess as far as like taking like chef positions and things like i've actively like not taken like chef roles because of like the restaurants because i'm really picky about where i work i want to work for like the best people i can or the best chefs that i could for so long and i just like wanted to take in as much information as i could from as many sources as i could to have like this super solid database of just shit that i could whip out or execute or how i could execute it or creative ways of getting things done with that being said it's like i finally have felt like i've gotten to the point to where i can do this and i'm like super confident in myself more so than i've ever been to like chef it up you know does it get old you know over this past year essentially from the start of this year to be constantly bouncing around like on the one hand, you get to try new things, right? You know, helping out at Wildweed, and then you're over here doing this, and you're doing you know, a pop-up dinner. And so there's always something new, but at the same time, you never really know what's next. Like, does that eventually kind of wear on you, or do you just kind of try and embrace it for as long as you can because you know that it's not going to last forever? I mean, take it for what it is, right? Like, I don't mind doing it, but it's really searching for, like, that home, you know, where you can come in every day and do the things that you want to do and just like really do your best i don't know yeah like honestly like especially since like pleasantry clothes not that like filling in positions isn't fun or anything but like the inconsistency sometimes like will wear on you a bit but i'm still fortunate for it and i wouldn't trade it for nothing you know i mean i'm okay i'll be better once like so i just accepted my first executive chef position which is fucking weird to think about <laughs> it's weird <laughs> I'm excited and I'm really fucking pumped for it. And like I said, I've had like this juicing up process of doing like all these events and things. And it feels like I'm nestling into that, like that home position again. And it's just been a minute and a half and it's just been like, fuck, thank goodness. One kind of thing that you're secretly into drawing, uh, you do some, I think you call them doodles. Is that another creative outlet? Like it's kind of in the 70s psychedelic tattoo style i feel like is a lot of kind of like there's a character element to it but then there's also kind of this like dr seuss ish element to it as well with some of the stuff that you've posted from your other instagram account so is that just like another creative outlet for you or is that something that like you think you'll be able to fold into you know maybe doing something for a menu or a mural in a place that you work or something like that that'd be cool if i could but honestly yeah i mean 
honestly, it's more of a meditative thing for me personally. Like, yeah, it's creative, but um, the way that like I approach it is just like I don't have any end. Like, I don't know what I'm going to draw before I draw it. You know, I'll throw down some super loose lines and just kind of fill it in with how I'm feeling. You know, like certain things look like certain faces, so I'll just put them in there and kind of do it. It's just kind of more of a it's an artistic outlet, I guess. You know. So you've been in Cincinnati for a long time. Skyline Chili, are you for or against it? Uh, I like Skyline Chili. Um, I'm a big fan. I mean, chili on spaghetti? Fuck me up, dude. I think it's fun, dude. I I enjoy it. Is there any type of food in Cincinnati that doesn't seem to work, you know, over the course of the years that you've been involved in the restaurant scene there? Has there been anything that you've seen that just, for whatever reason, does not stick, just does not vibe with the public there? I don't know, man. Like, honestly, I feel like the public is pretty open to, like, things in general, especially new things opening up and whatnot. I honestly don't think that there's anything I can think of personally where I'm like, oh, that's going to fucking suck or that's not going to do anything. I mean, the only thing that, like, I feel like isn't happening right now is, like, a good, like, plethora of lunch spots, like, in OTR, because there used to be, like, this uh, sandwich shop off of Maine, and I'd be like, I'd go to it pretty frequently. I'm, like, spacing the name of it. Oh, the takeaway. I feel like there could be probably, I don't know why, but more sandwich shops or something. Honestly, that's what I want. With Cincinnati, it seems to be kind of overlooked a little bit in the hierarchy of, you know, great food cities, you know, overshadowed by Chicago and obviously your bigger cities. But I think even, you know, it doesn't get the recognition that it probably deserves with as many independently owned, you know, restaurants and kind of one-off concepts that are there. Why do you think it's kind of so overlooked or doesn't kind of get the recognition it seems to deserve, whether it's from awards or just kind of word of mouth? Is there a reason that you think that happens or? Honestly, I'm not sure because like Cincinnati is fucking cool. And like you said, there have been like a plethora of like independently owned restaurants in this area that like rival that of like bigger cities, in my opinion. Maybe it's like the award systems and how it is done like where they have focuses on or in the bigger cities but even with that being said i'd say like last year we had like two james beard finalist restaurants in cincinnati and like that's sick you know i mean cincinnati like i said like the culture here is like super strong in my opinion just based off of everything that i've experienced personally you know i don't know i feel like it's on the come up though too like we've had like this wave of like positive media and just with all these openings happening right now, I feel like it's the only way to go is up. And I think that Cincinnati's like cusping on like the edge of uh, real like notoriety, in my opinion. Is there anything that you think the city needs to add to the food scene, you know, or, or needs to change? I mean, I know you mentioned your preference would be more sandwich shops, but is that the thing or is there anything else that you think needs to be added to Cincinnati for it to take that next step? Um, honestly, if I would be super stoked just to see more small independent restaurants opening up throughout the city, whether it be like in OTR or in Northside or just like wherever, you know, just like having like this army of like restaurants that are like small and independently owned just to kind of, I don't know, rival that of like the larger chains in the area, I think would help perpetuate like a really solid food culture here. So this next question comes from previous guests on the podcast, Evan Hennessy, who's the chef owner of stages at one Washington in Dover, New Hampshire. He left behind for you throughout your career. You work hard to become a chef. Like that's your overall goal. Once you achieve that, what is your exit strategy for retirement? Honestly, man, I'm trying to ride this wave as long as I can. Hopefully I can, uh, move into ownership of establishments or something that will help segue me to retirement. But I should probably think more about that. I really don't have one. Maybe I'll blow up artistically. Who knows? Maybe it's in the food world. What's a question you want to leave behind for the next guest? What, as a chef or restaurant individual, are you doing to help perpetuate a positive restaurant experience for your workers and those around you. Next question comes from one of our listeners. They wrote in, if you could add one local chef to your team, 
who would it be and why? Honestly, can I just say David? David. <laughs> it's kind of like a fantasy draft question. Kind of like who would you who would you draft on your team if you could, if you had the pick from you know everybody in your city. Got a bunch of fucking all stars around here right now, man. That's hard. I'd say David, honestly, just because he can do everything. Like literally, the fucking monster, man. I mean, like in a fucking perfect world situation, I would just like, yeah, dude, he fucks it up. You kidding me? So we got a handful more questions for you. We ask these to everybody who comes on the podcast. So a nice compare and contrast across the episodes here. So who would you say is the biggest influence on your career looking back on it? Biggest influence on me in my career would probably be, I'd say, Alan Sternberg, chef from Indianapolis that I worked with a handful of times over the years. He is a fucking first workhorse chef that I really work for that would get things done no matter what. He's very creative and just super fucking dope. What's one kitchen item that's not a knife that you can't live without? A pair of red-handled joist chin scissors. Restaurant you'd recommend that isn't your own. So scenario I usually give is person gets stuck at the airport, flight canceled. They reach out to you. Hey, where should we go eat? Place that you're working at isn't open or isn't open yet. You point them in this direction. I'm definitely going over. Well, I guess there's two places I'd go to. I'd either go like uh, direct people to like mid-city just because you go crush some small plates, maybe get a skipper, have some good drinks. Or over to Mo Chico because their ramen fucks. It's so good, dude. Bucket list travel destination, bucket list restaurant. So a place you have not visited yet, you still want to travel to and check out. And also a restaurant that you have not eaten at, but you still want to get to one day. I would love to go to San Sebastian, Spain. I have family that's from there, like somewhere in my lineage. And I just think that that'd be really fucking sick. The food scene there is incredible. It's progressive. There's a lot going on. There's culture. There's history. It's like, what could you not want from there? If I'm already in San Sebastian, I would love to go to Arzog. Super fucking cool. Craziest thing you've seen happen in a restaurant while you're working? While I was working at the steakhouse in Fort Wayne, uh, we were cleaning up one night and we're doing the floors and shit. And my chef came up to me. He's like, Cody, come here, follow me. And I'm like, all right, what's going on, dude? <laughs> and he takes me outside and he's like, have you ever been on the roof? And I'm like, uh, not this roof. Uh, <laughs> And so, like, we go up the ladder, and, like, I see this, like, plume of smoke coming from over the building. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And we climb up on top of the building, and across the way, there was a Hooters, like, on the main, like, drag of Fort Wayne. <laughs> and the bitch was just lit up on fire, dude. Like, me and him just stood on the roof of the steakhouse for, like, a good 15, 20 minutes and just watch a Hooters burn down, dude. I'll never forget that. Food or drink guilty pleasures or anything, fast food, candy, whatever that you know is unhealthy for you, but you just can't help yourself. Fruity, chewy things. I love any and all like chewy, fruity candies. It doesn't really matter what it is, except for Swedish fish. I'm a little burnt out on Swedish fish, but anything else under that fucking umbrella, I cannot help myself. What is one cookbook you think everyone should own? It's not really like a cookbook, but it's called Letters to a Young Chef. And it's like a Daniel Balud book. And it just goes over like his coming to of the chef and like the lessons you learn. Favorite dish thing you ever cooked, created, kind of looking back on your career up till now, you can point to this as almost like your aha moment. Like you knew you could be a professional chef, an executive chef one day based on making this dish that you came up with. During COVID, I had a lot of time and I did a lot of cooking. And I had these Cornish game hens just chilling in my refrigerator at the time. And I was like, man, what am I going to do with these? And so I like was watching a bunch of Jacques Pepin videos at the time. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to bone them out. So and I really was feeling like a Chinese food situation. So I made like some fried rice and I like stuffed a soft egg in there, boned out Cornish game hen with like fried rice and like a runny egg in the middle. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. First try. Finally, I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan, but not everybody is or was. If you were, is there a moment, episode, scene that still stands out to you about him? If you weren't, was there anybody else who was on TV, another culinary personality, uh, Jacques Pepin, a Julia Child, uh, Emeril, uh, that you just kind of gravitated towards uh, when you were coming up through your career? So I've probably watched like almost every episode of every series he's put out, but like my favorite 
episode that I've seen is from like his cooks tour show. And it's the episode where like him, Eric repair and like two others are at the French laundry and Thomas Keller gives them each their own tasting menu. And they all have like different dishes with each course. That was like mind blowing. I've like the next levelness and ability to do that was just like, what the fuck dude that's so fucking cool are you kidding me and just like the genuine joy on like Bourdain's face as like each course come out and then they're all passing it it's just like uh it encapsulates like a moment of like pure astonishment and joy just course after course it's so cool i love that where can people find you social media website plug everything if you want to see what I'm cooking and what we're doing over at Atwood, uh, you can find me at Codiferous, the cool. If you ever want to see whatever doodles I'm scribbling about, you can find me at uh, Codiferous, the scrib, S-K-R-I-B-B-E. Stay in touch as things get closer and everything. If you ever need anything from us, don't hesitate to reach out, try and support you as much as we can. But otherwise, yeah, we'll be seeing you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Big thanks again to Cody for coming on the podcast, uh, taking some time out of his day to come on, chat about his career and everything. Big shout out to him too as well for keeping us updated as things uh, happen and progress with his career and his little health update and everything. So again, he'll be popping up here soon, getting back into the swing of things with a different opportunity. So we'll be looking forward to having him potentially back on uh, once that all kind of gets settled and everything. He gets everything straighted away, you know, and taken care of with his family and everything. So we wish him the best. And obviously uh, we'll be keeping an eye on any updates and stuff that he posts, but we'll definitely have him back on in the future once he has his next gig lined up and we can chat about it and kind of what he's getting into and everything too as well. So Super talented individual is just kind of one of these people within the Cincinnati food scene that is behind the scenes. Like a lot of people probably don't know who he is or anything like that, but he's been involved in a lot of great restaurants in Cincinnati. And I'm sure he will be continuing in the future too, as well, until he decides to kind of do his own thing. But like I mentioned at the top, there's like three high profile openings all coming for the Cincinnati area too, as well. So Looking forward to those and looking forward to Cody with his kind of next adventure too. So again, follow him on Instagram at Codyiferous the Cool. That's cool with a K. Also follow his artwork account that is at Codyiferous the Scrib. Two B's at the end of that to view some of the artwork and stuff that he does that he posts on Instagram just for fun and everything. You follow us on Instagram too as well at SpoonMob. Check out the website, spoonmob.com, and make sure to follow or subscribe to the podcast, whatever app that you use, whatever platform that you prefer. Appreciate everybody who's been listening. Uh, if you're new, welcome. If you've been here for a while, thank you for your continued support. It's always cool to get emails and messages through Instagram and everything from people listening and through Reddit and all that stuff too as well. So we got a couple guest spots coming up too as well. So be on the lookout for those. We'll be posting those. I was able to jump on a couple other podcasts. It's always something I enjoy doing. So not always, you know, interviewing somebody, but kind of going on and being collaborative within the space. You know, you see chefs do it, you know, wine professionals do it. They'll, you know, do a pop-up dinner or something at some other restaurant or chef collab or whatever. So it's kind of the same thing. Uh, it's just in the podcast space. So, you know, you kind of, ones we've done in the past, you know, there's been ones about uh, kind of just mental health. There was one about politics, which was fun. Uh, there was one that was kind of touching on just different news articles within the food space. So it's always a lot of fun to kind of meet people and collaborate, you know, people that are super passionate about the podcast space and everything. So we'll be posting updates about those where you guys can find those links and all that stuff too as well. So keep a lookout on the Instagram page. But that is it for this week. Again, appreciate everybody's listening and writing in and all that stuff too as well. Continue to do so. It's awesome to see all that stuff come through and people kind of be engaged and supporting us. And we try Try and support everybody as much as possible and for everybody that we feature too on the podcast. But otherwise, we will talk to you guys next week on Thursday.